Well, good morning, church. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. And as you saw there in January, our series is called Turnaround. Now, every time that I hear the words turnaround, I think of something very specific. Uh, and I don't know about you, but every now and then, I get a little bit lonely. You know, every now and then, I get a little bit tired of listening to the sound of my tears. Every now and then, I get a little bit nervous that the best of all the years have gone by. Every now and then, I get a little bit angry, and I know I've got to get out and cry. Every now and then, I fall apart. Well, maybe you feel like once upon a time, you were falling in love, and maybe now everything is just falling apart. You know, you might feel like there's nothing that you can do, like you're just experiencing a total eclipse of the heart. Now, if you're, I know many of you are very familiar with that song, but if you're not, that was uh, the lyrics to Total Eclipse of the Heart uh, by Bonnie Tyler from 1983. And now, every time you hear Turnaround, that will also play through your head as well. Well, as we are into 2024, we are believing for a turnaround. You know, in the book of Isaiah, God says that he gives a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair, that our filthy rags are exchanged for garments of salvation, robes of righteousness. And how many of you can say that God has turned your life around? Amen? Amen. We celebrate that today and we are believing for more turnarounds in our lives and in our church. And our focus today is going to be to see a turnaround in generations and particularly in families. Do you ever find it hard to connect with people who are older than you? Or to connect with people who are younger than you? Do you ever feel a disconnect between people in your age group and the other generations? I mean, think about how many different generations there have been recently. I mean, we can go to the greatest generation, the silent generation. We've got baby boomers and Gen X and millennials. We've got Gen Z and Gen Alpha coming up. Lots of different generations. And I think often in our lives, at different times, different seasons of life, we can find ourselves looking at those who are older than us and we start to think, you know, they just don't understand. They don't know what it's like today. You know, uh, we look at their way of life and we think, man, that's just an outdated way of living, of doing things. And there's also times in our life when we look at those who are younger than us and we think, man, they have it so easy. And we think that they, they take so much for granted. I think that there is a disconnect that we can see between generations. 
We see it in our life. I mean, we can see it in little things like in our music, where each generation has music that they like. You know, and sometimes that music, it transcends, it crosses into other generations, uh, but often it doesn't. And recently, my kids uh, have really been into listening to music, and they have kind of taken over my uh, music streaming service, and it has completely messed up all my auto-generated playlists to the point where uh, my wife and I were listening to the date night playlist, and all of a sudden, it started playing songs from High School Musical. I mean, talk about a mood killer. So we have different preferences when it comes to music, and sometimes that can lead to a bit of a disconnect from one generation to the next. We see it in technology, all of us. The technology that we grew up with, that we were used to, I mean, it changes so rapidly, so quickly, that there's a, a disconnect between different generations just when it comes to technology or even how we do church. You know, I first preached at Eastside, it was like 15 years ago, and back then, uh, I had to sit on the stage with the leaders and stare out at the congregation during worship was a little bit awkward. We had paper bulletins that were printed off that everybody went through. It took a half an hour just to do the announcements. Three different people came up and shared on the first Sunday I ever preached, and we all read through the bulletin together. Uh, things were a little bit different then. I think I even had to wear a tie back then. So we see that things change. How each generation does church looks a little bit different. And that can lead to a disconnect between different generations. But I also think that we see in our world, especially now, there's a, a lot of tension between generations. And especially when we look at social media or being online, we can see a lot of disrespect from younger people or older people, a lot of name calling, right? And so we, we see people saying like boomers are out of touch and millennials, all millennials are lazy. And you know what? Nobody wants to work anymore. And we all know Gen Z is soft and on and on. We can see a lot of anger in how we look at and approach people in different age groups, whether they're older than us or younger than us. And I think that there is a real challenge that we see in our lives when it comes to communicating and crossing generational lines. I mean, parents, how many of you have ever felt disconnected from your children? You know, you want to connect with them. You want to understand. That's how I see it, uh, it with my own family as my kids are getting older. I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, and already... It's hard to understand exactly what it is that they're going through, you know. And I want to connect. I want to build better, deeper relationships with my kids. But it's hard sometimes. We see it uh, between us as adults who have adult parents, right? Our parents are getting older. It can be hard to connect. How many of you have ever been frustrated by your adult parents and trying to connect with them, trying to understand why they're making the decisions that they're making? There can be a big disconnect. There can be a lot of tension and frustration between generations. Older people, do you ever feel disconnected, underappreciated, or just forgotten by younger people? And so even when our hearts are in the right place, 
when we're trying to do this well and in a God-glorifying way, we can still see how difficult it is. And then if we consider family pain and trauma, broken relationships and unresolved anger and unforgiveness and abuse of all kinds, it becomes even more difficult. Well, the Bible speaks to these issues in several different ways that I want us to look at today. And first, in the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And at the end of Malachi, the last few verses of Malachi, right at the very end, the last few verses of the whole Old Testament, there is a prophetic promise that the prophet Elijah is going to come. And he is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he's going to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. And the Old Testament, it ends with this promise. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then at the beginning of the New Testament, we see it starts with a prophet, John. John the Baptist who comes in an angel promises and prophesies about the life and the ministry of John. And it says that John will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. That he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And this poetic and prophetic image of the hearts of the fathers being turned to their children and the hearts of the children being turned to their fathers, it speaks both to healing for our families, our nuclear families, and also a realignment of the generations. Because one of the themes in the prophets, particularly in Isaiah, is this idea that the patriarchs, the biblical heroes from long ago, the Abrahams, Isaacs, and Jacobs, would be ashamed and they would turn their face away from how people were currently living their lives, how God's people were actually living. There was a great disconnect between the forefathers and then the today of how God's people were living. They were not in alignment. But in the life and the ministry of John the Baptist, as he is preaching and calling people to repentance, as they are turning from their sins and being baptized, as they're turning towards God, it's this realigning of the generations from what the patriarchs, from the biblical heroes of the Old Testament, how they lived, how they were following God. Now the people are coming back into alignment. Their hearts are being turned back towards each other. And when we look at our lives and we look at our families, consider the factors that come into play, the things that divide our families, the things that pull us in different directions. Those things that when you get your family together, whether it's for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, what are the things that once the, the topic turns to politics or it turns to different ideologies, different uh, ways of thinking, ways of viewing the world, we see these different tensions that come into our families, these different dividing lines that we draw, these factors that are pulling us in different directions. But it's interesting that when we look at the Bible, and we look particularly in the first century AD, we look at Jesus' time that he comes and ministers in, 
that there were a lot of those same types of factors at play, pulling apart and dividing families. And so in Jesus' time, you would see in families, you know, there might be some who would be drawn to the teaching of the Pharisees, the religious people, right? And so they would be pulled in that direction. And then some might be uh, hearing the appeal of the Sadducees, you know, and a little bit of a different perspective of a especially when it comes to resurrection. And so you might have that tension in families. In the different generations, you would have those who were the zealots, who were all about, we have to overthrow Rome. We got to get Rome out of here. And they were very passionate and willing to fight and to die for that cause. And then you had other generations or other groups of people that were saying, hey, Roman occupation, this is just a reality. We just have to learn how to get along and make this all work. And so there's these different pulling factors, these different dividing lines, even in Jesus' time. And as we look at these things that, that pull at us or divide us when it comes to families, I think that the, the temptation for us is to look at, man, how can we see healing in our families. How is it? If we're asking ourselves, what can heal the disconnection and the tension between generations and in our families, that our first instinct might be to say, Jesus. Jesus will heal our families. Jesus will bring us all together. But we do need to remember that Jesus himself recognized that his coming and his message would actually divide families. In Luke, Jesus says, I didn't uh, come to bring peace on earth. I came to set the world on fire. In Luke 12, verse 52 and 53, this is Jesus, and this is what he says. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against. Or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That was Luke 12, 52 and 53. And we see this today in our church and around the world, that there are families here that have been divided by faith in Jesus. But we also, we recognize, we know that Jesus cares about families. Jesus wants healing for your family. When we look at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, we see multiple times where Jesus is healing families. He's healing children. He valued them. Young men and young women. These families that experience this healing work. Even children raised from the dead. These families restored. Demons cast out. And I want us today to look at a story that Jesus tells about healing for a family. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to join me. It's in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. As we're believing for healing for our families, as we're believing for a healing and a connection between different generations we're believing for hearts of the fathers to be turned to their children and the hearts of children to be turned to their fathers. We're believing for the rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly and for families to be healed. 
We're going to look at Luke chapter 15. And uh, in that chapter, Jesus tells three different parables. We're going to look at the third parable. It's about a father and two sons. It's about a, a bit of a dysfunctional family. So it's a father and he has his younger son comes to him and says, Dad, I am sick of waiting for you to kick the bucket. I want my inheritance right now. I want you to give me what's coming to me later on. I want it right now. And the father, he divides up his wealth and he gives the younger son that, the portion coming to him. And then it says a few days later, that son packs up everything he has and he goes off to a distant land and he wastes all of his money on wild living, which probably didn't take that long to do. And then there is a famine that comes through the land, and this young man is penniless, he is starving, and he persuades a farmer to give him a job, and he's feeding pigs, and he's so hungry that he is jealous of the pods that the pigs are eating. And this is where we're going to pick it up. If you are following along in your Bibles, it's Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 17. And it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. In this story, we see a father and two sons. 
And we can see God as the father in this story. And I want us to consider what type of a father God shows himself to be in this passage that we just looked at. He's a generous father. He freely gives to his younger son. He's a patient father. He allows his son to go off. His son leaves and he's patiently waiting for his son's return. He sees his son from a long way off. He's watching for him. He's a patient father. He's an expressive father. He shows emotion. He runs. He gives physical affection to his son. He's a forgiving and a restoring father. The son doesn't come back just as a hired servant, but is restored as a son. The father is a pleading father. When the older son is angry and refuses to come in, he goes out to the older son and he pleads with him. In the NLT it says he begs him to come inside. And so this is a father who knows when to wait patiently and when to go out and to plead and beg with the older son to come inside. And he is a celebrating father getting the robe and the ring. I love that he says twice, we must celebrate. We had to celebrate. And I want us to consider today, if you're here as a parent, I want you to think about what can we learn from this story as parents? How can we as parents be like the father in this story? What does it look like for us to be generous parents? and patient with our children, to be expressive in our love and forgiving, restoring, even knowing when to wait patiently and when to go out and to plead and to beg our children and how to celebrate our children. The father doesn't treat his two sons the exact same. He recognizes the uniqueness of each son and the situation that they're in. One he runs to, one he restores, one he goes out and he begs that older son to come in. I want us to think today as children towards our parents and as children towards our God, can we see ourselves in the children in this story? Can we see ourselves as these two sons. How many of us have felt that appeal, that tug of wild living, that desire to just cast off restraint and to, to just go and do things our own way, that need to get away, to rebel against authority or against our parents or against God, to try things out our own way and to then find the emptiness of it. There's another son who stays a son who is dutiful, but judgmental and uncaring. He doesn't care that his younger brother has come back home. All he can think about is how this impacts him and his situation. He's self-centered. He's stubborn. He's unyielding. And the story ends without a conclusion about what decision it is that he's going to make. The father 
goes out to both of his sons. He goes and runs to meet the younger son. And he goes out and he pleads and he begs with the older son. But the story ends with that older son standing outside the house with a decision to make. Will he stay in his anger? Will he stay disconnected outside of the party? Or will he yield? Will he relent? Will he go in and celebrate with everyone else? What can we learn from this as parents? What can we learn from this as children? Can we be those who turn our hearts towards our children? Can we be those who turn our hearts towards our fathers, our parents? When we look at Jesus, Jesus cares about your family. Jesus wants to see healing for your family. In this story, we see there is a healing that takes place. There is a turnaround that takes place in the life of the younger son where he turns back, he comes to his senses, and this family is healed, the relationship between the father and the younger son, while at the exact same time, there's this disconnection between the father and the older son who all up to this time has been in relationship and connection, and yet this is the dividing line. This is the thing where he's really having trouble with coming back into the house. Jesus healed families, but Jesus did not just come to heal families. Jesus came to usher in and bring about a new way to do family. And when we look at Jesus in the New Testament and we look at his famous prayers, he's teaching his disciples to pray. He doesn't teach them to pray, my father, individually. He teaches them to pray, our father, collectively. That we come into this family, this larger spiritual family, where now God is our father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, this is what God says. He says, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, maybe you have a, a disconnected, tension-filled, broken-down relationship with your physical father. Maybe you don't have a father, or maybe your father has passed away. But I want you to hear, again, the word of the Lord for you today. That God is saying to you, I will be your father. And you will be my son. You will be my daughter. He is the Lord Almighty. You have a heavenly father. And his heart is turned towards you. It's this new way to do family, that now each and every one of us, when we put our faith in Jesus, we come into this big, beautiful family, this spiritual family. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament makes a really big deal out of genealogies. And if you've read through parts of the Old Testament, then you've said, seen that it's so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. It goes on and on. It puts a lot of importance in it. There's these endless lists connecting generations. And it goes on into the New Testament. And it connects from the very beginning all the way up to Jesus' parents. This big, long genealogy. Very important. And then, once Jesus arrives, 
there's, there's not more genealogies. I mean, quick, name one of the children of the 12 disciples. You don't know. The Bible doesn't put importance on it. We're not aware. And so there's this shift that takes place in the importance of the natural or the physical children that they had from generation to generation. And now it becomes about spiritual children. And we see Paul as a spiritual father to a young pastor, Timothy. And we see Paul talking about how he is a father to the Corinthian church. He says that you have like 10,000 instructors, but you only have one father. I am your spiritual father. I care about you as a parent. Paul writes to the Galatian church, and in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. He talks as a spiritual father, as a, a mother giving birth to a child, at this spiritual formation of Christ being formed within them. And so he's parenting them. He cares about them so deeply. He's laboring to see them become more and more like Jesus. And so as we come in and we understand this new way to do family, we bring our nuclear family into this Christian community. We now have spiritual parents to help our spiritual formation. And so it's so important that we remember and recognize that the church is not just the nuclear family as we might think of it, but the church is single people. The church is married people who don't have children. It's widows, it's orphans, it's families who have biological children and adopted children. It's not just the stereotypical family, but the church is every generation, every people group, every skin color, every language, that we are the church. We're this new type of family, this spiritual community. And so now you can have dozens of mothers and fathers Big brothers and sisters, children and grandchildren living in community together. And I want us to consider today, what if we, as Eastside City Church, what if we lived this way? What if we rejected the, gener the generational disconnections by being intentional to learn from each other, and to love one another? And what if we rejected the generational tensions by humbling ourselves and being willing to let go of our preferences to hold firm to God's truth together? What if the older generation turned their hearts to the younger generations? And what if the younger generations turned their hearts to the older generations? I want to encourage you today, pray for your family. Pray for your nuclear family. Believe, we believe with you for your parents to be saved. We are praying and believing with you for restoration in your relationship with your kids. That 
This is something that we are to pray about, to go to God. We're believing for restoration in these relationships. Young parents, raise up godly children and teach them to do what's right. This is so important. But also, don't forget about the church family. Don't forget to zoom out and to remember the single young adult woman, the couple without kids, the boy without a dad, our older saints who live far away from their grandkids, to reach out across generational lines, to build healthy, wise connections with young people and with older people. Because I see how easy it is for me in my life just to focus on my kids, my parents, my family. You know, it's hard for me to turn my heart to others, to remember what others are also going through. And yet, we need to remind ourselves that this is how the church thrives. That this is so important. Do we truly value this way of living? Jesus cares about your family. Jesus told a story about a family that was dysfunctional. This good father with two sons, one that was rebellious and ran away and then came back, and one that stayed dutifully but yet was uncaring and yet shows in his words how disconnected from his father he really was. He really didn't understand his father and how much his father loved and cared about him. But Jesus didn't just come to tell stories. Jesus didn't just come to heal people. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but Jesus came to save the world. And Jesus died a horrible death on a Roman cross. He proved his love for you by bearing your sin and your punishment on the cross. For every time that we have rebelled, every time that we have wasted what God has put into our hands, every time that we've gone our own way, every time that we have stubbornly been disconnected from our Father and judgmental and uncaring and resistant to Him, Jesus, He bore our punishment, our sin on the cross. Jesus proved that he was the son of God when he rose again. Jesus didn't come to bring peace on earth, but he came and set the world on fire. And yet he bridged the great divide that separated God and you. And now each of us must choose. Will we stay outside of the house? Whether because of rebellion or stubbornness, or our anger, or will we be welcomed in as children of our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, the, the lyrics of the silly song that we started things off with today, you know, maybe today you're lonely. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you are falling apart. Maybe you are in need of a turnaround. And I want us to close our eyes and I want to pray together as a church and give an opportunity for us to respond to God this morning. 
Jesus isn't just a storyteller, he's a savior. And he died to save us. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're listening to this, and you recognize that you need Jesus to save you from your sins. And if that's you today and you recognize your need of a savior, Jesus, come into my life that today I'm willing to come home. Today I'm willing to come into relationship with you, with my loving Heavenly Father because of Jesus Christ, what you have done. And if you say today, Jesus, I need you to save me from my sins, would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me, to make that decision, to bow your knee to Jesus. Amen. 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 Today... Do you recognize your need to see Jesus heal your family? Do you recognize your need of healing, the brokenness, the dysfunction, the tension that we see in our family? Maybe you are here today and you're believing for a family member to come uh, into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to put their faith in him. Maybe you're believing for a child to come back home, a prodigal to come back to the house, a stubborn child that you're pleading with and begging with to come into the house. If that's you today and you recognize that you need Jesus to heal your family, would we just slip up our hands and say, that's us. Jesus, would you heal my family? Jesus, we're asking and praying, God, we need a touch from you in our families. We need you to do a work that only you can do, that people would come to their senses, that people would come back home, that people would understand how much you love and care about them. Jesus, we ask and pray. And then finally, are you here today and you recognize that you need God's heart? for your church family, to turn your heart towards other generations, other people, to consider how you can be a part of this great big spiritual family that God has brought us into. And if you'd say, God, I need your help. I'm raising my hand for that today. God, I need you to help me to turn my heart towards my church family, not just to focus on my own physical family. Jesus, we pray and ask, God, would you help us? Would you turn our hearts? Would you help us to love and care for and encourage our brothers and our sisters in Christ? We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name.